The bro old brother were out though, in that movie, uh, the Coen Brothers movie, there's three escaped convicts, you saw them right there. And it's this journey, it's this very strange journey, and if you know, I didn't know this until after I watched the movie, but it's, it's based on, uh, loosely, on the uh, Homer's, Homer's uh, which one, the Iliad? Odyssey, that's one, right? The Odyssey, and so then it kind of, some scenes made sense, I was like, what's going on? But it's this journey where they're going through things. And one thing I love about uh, Delmar and Pete, the two guys that are there with George Clooney, is they're so excited to get their sins forgiven. Isn't that cool? It's just like one guy just sees this happening, thanks to him. One guy, uh, Pete just sees this happening. What does he do first? He just runs in the water. And then after, the other guy says, come on in, boys. The water is fine. Delmar just runs right out there and says, I'm going to get... I'm going to get baptized too. I'm going to get my sins forgiven, including knocking off that Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Preacher says the lion thought it was forgiven too. question, though, that that brings up is, is it really true that if you just go through a one-time experience like that, if you just go through a one-time, you know, get baptized or whatever, are you, is that really true? I mean, are you, are you, are you really forgiven of your sins? It's kind of a trick an tricky answer to that question because the, the uh, answer is both yes and no. Yes, it's a one-time event. It's a one-time in your life where you believe and repent. You turn from your old life and you trust in the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Not the fact that God can just forgive sins. Oh, I just believe in God. Uh-uh, that doesn't work. God just can't forgive sin. He, he's, he can't do that. He's a just God. You have to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And yes, so it's a one-time event. You believe and you trust in Christ. And could it be that these guys, I mean, their characters, that was true? It's possible. But the answer is no if you just go through it and it's just a ceremony. Or it's just a one-time event. Or it's you think it's magic words or it's kind of superstitious or whatever. Then the answer is no. There's no hoodoo-doo-doo here. You can't just wear a cross and say, that'll get me in. One of, the, one of the places that I, I lived in, um, she was a Christian and she was our landlord, but uh, she had the habit of, in every, uh, in, on every window, she had etched a, a little cross, like that was going to protect us. No, I, I like the cross, I love the cross, but itching a little plus sign on the windows is not going to protect us from any, you know, intruders or people or anything. That's not what it's about. It's not about trusting in it superstitiously or trusting it for your own gains. It's trusting in Christ, believing in Him, and having faith in Him. Last week we met a guy who it was a ceremony. We met it was a guy named Simon. He was a magician, and uh, he, he, it said he believed, and it even said he, he believed that it was baptized. But you could tell by the end of it very clearly that nothing internally had changed with Simon. Simon was exactly the same. He was exactly the same. He was this guy who wanted a lot of popularity and a, a lot of people to love him and he wanted to do miraculous things and now he thought that Christianity and especially the coming of the Spirit of God into his life would allow him to do more magic tricks. Woohoo! This is great. This is going to be better. And the apostle said, may you and your money perish or like we said would be a better translation, to hell with both you and your money. So Simon wasn't changed. Now, last week we looked at this whole passage, Acts chapter 8, and we, we said we're going to just skip one section, and I promise to come back to it this week. So let's get into it right now. Open your Bibles to Acts 8 if you have one, or you can look along on that insert, 
Might not be a bad idea this morning to crack a Bible because we're going we're gonna to skip around some few places. I'm going to be moving around verse to verse and it's all on the screen, but it might not be a bad idea to have a Bible this morning. Acts chapter 8. If you remember what, what happens before Acts chapter 8 is there's this person named Stephen who dies, who is killed, who is martyred for his faith as he's telling about how great Christ is. And he's telling them to the Jewish people. And when he dies, it says in Acts, uh, 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 Acts 8.1, if you look there, um, I don't think this is on the screen. I don't think I have this. Uh, is Saul was there. We're going to meet him in chapter 9 again. And it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So, what happens is there's this major, major event that happens and people are scattered to the winds. So it's, it's frightening. Saul and his cronies are persecuting the church, dragging them off to prison even. So they're scattered all over the place. Okay, now I'll pick it up in verse 4. And I think I do have a slide for this. Yeah. <clears throat> it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And we're going to see that this city is actually going to respond favorably to the gospel. They're going to respond. They're going to believe Philip's message. Now, this is the other group. There's the, 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 there's the story of Simon in Acts chapter 8, but there's this interesting little thing happening with this group of people from Samaria. Now, where is Samaria? Samaria, if this is the, the Jerusalem, it's basically above it. So it's just straight up the map. They came about, if you, if you, you don't have to turn there, but if, if you looked in 2 Kings 17... There was a time when the, the, the kingdoms of Israel divided into two parts, northern and southern. The northern part, then when the, then this group came in from outside called the Assyrians, when they took care of the, all of Israel, there was a certain percentage of people that intermingled with the Assyrians, intermarried with them, and it was this kind of half-breed thing of Assyrian and Jewish, and they were the Samaritans. Now, they became kind of a heady group, kind of an arrogant group up there, and they rejected a lot of things of traditional Israel. They rejected all of the Old Testament except for the first five books of the Bible. So the rest of it was gone. They only trusted the first five books. They also said, we're not going to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. We're going to worship it up here in our backyard, you know, because this is, of course, where the center of the world is. You know, it's wherever you're from. You always think that's the case. You get very, you know, like, well, it's true in the case of Hibbing, Minnesota, but the, the, there's certain points that everything is most important about, and so you do that, and that's what they did. They built their own worship site. They built a temple up in the northern part of, of, of that nation. And so they were a half-breed. In fact, the, the, the Israelites hated them so much that, that it, was, it was about the worst thing you could call someone was a Samaritan. In fact, in John 8, 48, the Pharisees said to Jesus, they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, 
I'm not sure which was worse, being a Samaritan or having a demon, but it was like the worst, nasty, ugly, swearing thing you could tell someone is you'd call them Samaritan, you know, Packer fan, that kind of thing. You got it? It's just disgusting what they are doing when he says the word Samaritan. They are blasphemers. They have trampled on the, the holy things. That's who a Samaritan is. That's very important. Talk about race problems in, in our country. This is nothing. I mean, maybe in 1968 at the Democratic National Convention would be similar to what's going on here. It was intense, the race problems here between Samaritans and Jews. Got that picture? Figure tension. And where are they scattered? Samaria. And what do they do? They tell them about Jesus. That's crazy. That's crazy. Pick it up in verse... In, in chapter uh, 8, pick it up, we're going to skip down to verse 14. We saw Simon, Simon's the main character of this whole thing that's happening in the, in the from, uh, what is it, verse 9 to 25. He's kind of the main character, but we want to pick up what's happening with these Samaritans here. Uh, Simon was a Samaritan, but with the rest of them, what's happening? So pick it up in verse 14. Just look at verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, I'll give a shiny dime. Let's see if I have my shiny dime today. Nope. I, I'll give one though. Shiny dime to anyone that can go, what? Peter and John? Why is John fascinating? You got to go back 24 sermons in the book of Acts to know why it's fascinating that John went. Anyone? Anyone? Associate pastor? Hmm? Anyone? Why would John? They sent John. Oh, there's a shiny dime LDI intern. Oh, the graduate of the LDI program. Very good. In Luke chapter 9, if you just said Jesus, he says, in, this is from uh, talking about Jesus now. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 52, it says, He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village. So Jesus also went up to Samaria, which was a radical thing. It's like, don't touch them, don't let their shadow cross you, Eek! to get things ready for them. But the people there did not welcome him. There's obviously this tension, even with Jesus around. There's this racial tension because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, remember their brothers, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I love that line. Like they had the power at their disposal to do that. But they, physic they wanted physical harm on these guys. These guys are being ungrateful. Well, it's, it, it's interesting the way, I love John too. He's, they're great, uh, James and John. They don't say, Lord, would you do this? They say, hey, Lord, hey, you want us to call down fire on these? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. So one of the encouraging things here is as John is going back there, and, and we haven't seen how he's going to respond, he's going to respond favorably. That's transformation. That's transformation. That's somebody who was in Auschwitz coming back to Jew, uh, Germany and looking the guard in the eye and saying, I forgive you. That's, that's what the gospel does. It's that reconciling. John was able to go back to Samaria and was excited about it. Pick it up then in verse 15. When they arrived, this is now Peter and John. Peter and John arrive up in Samaria. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now remember last week I said we're not, there's, this thing would take way too long for us to deal with last week, so we'll deal it with, with it this week. And this is probably, in Acts, one of the most hotly debated passages. It is huge. And, but you need to know something. Before we even get into what in the world does this mean? I thought the Spirit of God came on people when they became Christians. What's going on here? Before we get into that, you need to understand something about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book about the Holy Spirit. The main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, let's just, let's just, let's just fly through it just for a second. In Acts chapter 1, remember he says, um, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In Acts chapter 2, they do receive the Holy Spirit. And that's, there's something about when he comes at Pentecost, it comes in a different way and with power. Starts a new era. That Christians receive this, this, it's not just a worldview, it's not just a way you think anymore, it's actually transformed by the Spirit. He's powerful in your life. He does all kinds of things. Peter addresses the crowd in Acts chapter 2 also, and he says to them in verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and all your children and for all who are far off, and for all who the Lord our God will call. We see in Acts chapter 3, it's a healing done by, the, uh, by Peter of a, of a man who was crippled from birth. In Acts chapter 4, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when he spoke to people. When it talks about Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember that, Peter, when they lie, Peter says to them in verse 30, uh, excuse me, in, I'm sorry, in chapter 5, he says, uh, Ananias, he says, Yes, he does. He says it. Ah, in verse 3 he says, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Luke is just trying to make, Luke, the author of Acts, is trying to make a point. This book is about the Holy Spirit and how he moves. We're in a time right now as a church, the church age, all the churches around the world, that it is about the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is hugely important. God's Spirit here amongst us, the third person of the Trinity. It is hugely important. And I could keep going on and on, but, but the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. Do a search sometime, just the word spirit in Acts. It's just filled. This is a huge question. This is no minor question. When does the Holy Spirit come on a person? This is a major question. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I got two big questions. I like BQs. BQ stand for big questions. <coughs> I've got two of them on this passage. <clears throat> First one, why is there no explanation of what's going on? Right? There is none. It just says what happens. The, Peter and John come down to Samaria. They see that they haven't received the Holy Spirit. They pray that they would. They lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What's the, what's the interpretation of it? Let me just give you a little piece of uh, humble pie here. <clears throat> I don't know. And you know what? Neither do you. Because it doesn't say. We, we're going to take some good speculation. We're going to try to use the scriptures to understand this passage. 
but it does not say what it means. It just says it happened. Okay? So I read all these commentators and they say, this is what it means. I'm like, well, that's could, what it possibly could mean. But it doesn't say what it means because it doesn't tell me what it means. It just says it happened. Okay? First thing we need to do is examine, we have to have good Bible study. Good Bible study. The main point of Acts verses 8, or 8, 9 through 25 is not, how does a person receive the Holy Spirit? That's not the main point. So guess what? Luke doesn't answer the question. The guy who wrote it, he doesn't answer the question. What does it mean to answer the, receive the Holy Spirit? He does not answer that question. He answers the question, how do you go through and be, uh, go through some type of believing and some type of baptism and yet be not changed like Simon? Because Simon's the main point. So the first thing is, Acts 8, 9 through 25, the main point is not, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? It's a side point. It's an elephant in the room, okay? We've got to just talk about it, but it's not the main point. Simon is the main point. Second thing is whenever you're reading some account, you have to always ask the question, is this just describing what happened or is this something I should follow? And you have to use, obviously, common sense when you're reading the Bible. You read about David and he did certain things, but he also had an affair with Bathsheba. People of Hope community, do not have affairs with Bathsheba. It is in the Bible, but don't do it, okay? Don't do that. But just an account. So here we're getting an account, and you have to, the, the, the trick in the book of Acts is to ask the question, is it descriptive, does it describe what's happening, or is it prescriptive, is it prescribing what should always be? Now, with that said, basically if you boil down everybody's opinion on this, you come to three. You come to three possibilities. The first one is, is that the, the Samaritans who believed and were baptized, and let's just make an assumption that it was authentic belief, not like Simon. You have to kind of say that because of the way it follows. Uh, you, you can see from the passage uh, that, um, we'll take a look at this in a minute, but it seems to be that there was true. Uh, uh, but they weren't fully believers. That's the... That's the uh, argument of a guy by the name of James Dunn. Wrote a book, Baptism in the Holy Spirit, in 1970. He says that they really weren't completely believers. In other words, uh, their sins had not been yet forgiven. To quote uh, Peter, uh, Delmar, I can't remember which one is in the water, but they weren't really in. And that's one possibility. Second possibility is a possibility that's, um, that this is the normative thing. The normative thing is that you become a Christian by believing in baptism, and then there's a second blessing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you, a lot of times called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's when you receive power and blessing and perhaps gifts happen, miraculous gifts, often evidenced by the gift of speaking in tongues. That's the second possibility. Third possibility is the one that says, we don't really know what this means, but we do think that it means uh, probably... Uh, that because of the race relationship being so difficult that the, that the Samaritans had their own Pentecost, their own time when they did believe in, and, and, and were baptized, just as the apostles were, but the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them in power. And so by the laying on of hands, and it's interesting because that's nowhere else in the book of Acts where that kind of spirit coming on happens, but it was endorsed by the southern, or you know, the real Israelites, and it was endorsed. That's the third Possibility. Let's take a look at these. First of all, it's number one possible, and I already kind of laid down my cards on this one. I don't think number one is possible. 
If you look at Acts, if you go back up a, a chapter, I mean, excuse me, a paragraph, Acts chapter 8, 9 to 13, it says the whole thing about Simon there a little bit, but if you uh, look at verse 12, it says, but when they, this is the people of Samaria, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and in and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere. Now, it, it just kind of makes sense, and as the apostles came down, they checked it out, and they readily put their hands on people and said, you're good. But Simon, they didn't. So it seems to me that, that number one, is, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess if you want to make it fit in your you know, theological pipe so you can smoke it, then you choose that one. But it, I, I don't, it doesn't, from the passage, it seems to be clear that they were believers. Second one, second possibility. Are you, do you become a believer in Christ and then experience this baptism of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to lay out my cards here before I even get into this. I think the answer to this is very firmly no and yes. Ah, oh, so wise. Sweet. <laughs> we love coming to this place. Speak a mystery. <laughs> um. No and yes. Now, I got to go do a little. We gotta, the second thing we got to do this morning is do some good theology. Good theology means we have to look at other places in the Bible. We know that this, whatever happened here, has to be consistent with other teachings. Has to be. Otherwise, the Bible doesn't make sense. So it has to be consistent. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Remember in, in verse 6, the, all the apostles asked Jesus, this before, the Pentecost, before Pentecost happened, before they had received the Spirit themselves, and remember they were believers, but they hadn't received the Spirit yet in power, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's the, what they asked him is this. Number one, when is power or when are you going to give back the kingdom? So we want power. We want to be in control again. Secondly, it's going to come to Israel. And Jesus corrects them on those two things. First of all, you're not going to know when. Second of all, you're... You're not going to get the kind of power you think. You're going to get different kind of power. It's going to be a spiritual power. And thirdly, it's not just coming to Israel. Thirdly, third finger. Not just coming to Israel. It's coming to all kinds of people. They were lacking power. Romans. We're going to look at chapter... We're going to look at two different chunks of the writings of Paul. Romans 6 through 8 is... Probably the best passage in the Bible on what does the Spirit of God do in your life to change you. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is probably the best place in the Bible on how does the Spirit show Himself for power for living and in gifts. Romans 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Okay, I'm just going to look at a chunk of this. Romans 8. Verse 1, there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, the Spirit working in you has changed you by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see this difference here? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Question. Can a person who does not have the Spirit be a follower of Christ? Answer, no. It's impossible. Let me keep reading. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, is the second option saying that a person can be believer and baptized but not have this second blessing where the Spirit of God comes in them? Is that a possibility? And the answer is no. It's an impossibility. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 8. He says, if Christ is not in you, then you don't belong to him. Verses 9 and 10. Can't be. Cannot be. It's an oxymoron to say that you're not a spirit Christian. You You have to be a spirit Christian. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. Same, same kind of things. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Um, just for the sake of time, skip to verse 7. It says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit, to each one the manifestation, the way the Spirit shows itself is given for the common good. To one There is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. It is my estimation that every one of those still exists today. Every one of those. There's no, I don't think there's any biblical reason why you say they don't. But they're not all given to the, not everybody in here, not everybody in here is a miracle worker. Not everybody in here has the gift of knowledge and, and, and healing and tongues and all this kind of different, it, it's spread out. Why? For the betterment of the body. But it says to each one, some type of manifestation of the Spirit is given to you. And I want to land on that word manifestation. Manifestation means that it is something moving in your life. It is not just an intellectual idea. The Spirit of God working in your life is a manifestation of Himself. It is power going through you and it causes change. How do I know that? Because Peter and John came up to them and said, they don't have the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John came to them and said, they don't have it yet, there was something they were lacking. And it was an external thing. 
There was something they were lacking, a way they talked, the way they were, uh, whatever. There was something that we don't know exactly what happened to the Samaritans, but we know that when they prayed, they received the Holy Spirit. And it's not like this blue goo you see just go into somebody. There's actually some evidence that it happened. There's a manifestation that happens. Now, if you skip down to verse 27 in that chapter, it says, you're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gifts of administration, and those speaking in, in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Rhetorical answer meaning, no, we don't all do that. We don't all do those things. We all have different ones. And then it says this, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Okay, now here's the point. Here's where the answer is yes and no. No in the sense that no. When a person is, is, is a Christian and they trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes on them. And it will show up in some manifested form. It might be nothing more than just uh, uh, feel good. It might, you might not feel, I thought I was going to throw up. So it might not be that. It, but it's some factor the Holy Spirit shows himself. But this passage says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And my Pentecostal friends, who I don't agree with exactly on this point, have a good point here. They say, you people are all just about your head. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. This passage says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And what I, what I would not call either a second blessing or what I would not call a baptism in the Holy Spirit is a legitimate thing saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to move in my life. I give it all to you. I want you to fill me up. Paul talks about that in, in Ephesians. Two passages in Ephesians. He says, verse, verse 34, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The issue there in chapter 4 was talking about good speech. And if you're not using good speech, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It is possible to quench it off so that it doesn't have power in your life. Yes. Then he says it's possible to, to leak out. Verse Chapter 5, verse 18, same book. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's kind of like a bottle of wine. You drink the whole bottle, you're going to be giddy. And he says, don't drink that bottle. Drink this bottle. Drink the Holy Spirit bottle. And it will control you in that same way. Be filled. Fill yourself up. Another thing Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So I would say the answer to this one biblically is no. That you, you, a person who has trusted in Jesus Christ, that, that is when the Spirit comes on you. You can't be part of Christ if the Spirit doesn't come on you. Yet, I would say over here in agreement and say, I think oftentimes, and I think many of us, choke off the Holy Spirit from any involvement in our lives. I don't know why. It's something about when you say the phrase Holy Spirit that people kind of get the heebie-jeebies like, ooh, I'm going to become one of those weirdos that has bubble gum all over them because they're rolling on the floor so much, you know, and that kind of thing. You have to think about that. Bubble gum, yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't care if you roll on the floor. Go ahead. We just, just swept it, I think. But that's not the point. The point is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life in a full way? So I would, I would say that it's probably the third one. 
hear me. I don't really know what it is. I think it's the third one. I think that God wanted to make clear that he is going to accept the Samaritans and he had their own personal Pentecost, their own personal time when they had this thing that they had already believed and already baptized, but there's this wait before the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to see that again when it comes to the the people who are non-Jewish. And remember that Samaritans are half Jew. These people who are what they call Gentiles or non-Jews, it's going to happen the same thing. There's going to be a little bit of a delay. In closing this morning, I want to ask you, what is the Spirit asking you to do? What is the Spirit asking you to do? When Paul asks the question, do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? I believe he's asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? And that's what I would ask you this morning. Do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you laid down your life and said, I'll, just be, I'll be just like the Samaritans. I will turn from whatever it is I'm hanging on to. I will let it go. And I'll come over here and I will embrace Christ alone. Or maybe you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's your speech, just like in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Maybe you agree, you're holding him back. Maybe there's something he wants to do, and you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what he's asking you to do, and you're saying, no, I will not do that. And you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You are making the Holy Spirit sad. That's what grieving means. You are holding him back. You are quenching him. Maybe you're not being filled with the Spirit. What is it that's filling you up? Maybe you are putting out the Spirit's fire. Maybe your activities in life, or maybe you just, you're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you, Spirit. I, that whole thing, I don't want to be labeled some kind of nut. I'm, I'm not going to go there. And the Spirit says, I don't want to make you a nut. But I do want to make you changed. Have you opened that door in your life and say, Spirit of God, I want as much of you as possible. I've got a, I've got a, a relative, dear relative, who disagrees with me on this, believes in a second blessing, believes that it's evidenced by the speaking in tongues. He prays every day for me that I will speak in tongues. You know what I told him? I said, I want you to pray as much of the Holy Spirit into my life as you possibly can pray. And if it's evidenced by speaking in tongues or, or miracles or standing on my head, I don't care. You, can, you go right ahead. I'm not threatened by that. I hope that's your prayer too this morning. As we, we're going to move to a time of communion. And that'd be a great thing to ask people to pray for you, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he would just move. You could just pray and, and, and we would love to pray that for you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it is appropriate that we move now to a time of communion. because you said that if you didn't go that the Holy Spirit wouldn't be able to come the age now is an age when the Spirit is moving and it is moving and we've seen it move God we've seen you do remarkable things we're standing in a a sanctuary that someone gave to us that's a work of your Spirit we've seen people who've been touched their lives by your word that's a work of your Spirit I'm standing up here only because you made it sense to this simple guy from up north about the wonders of of who you are and that's by your spirit so we pray your spirit would run in this room we pray it would run in our lives God make very evident to us bust us up if necessary how we're grieving or not allowing you to be filled or how we're quenching and putting out the spirit's fire if we're doing that God make it clear and then give us the absolute courage 
to say, I'm not going to do that. I want right now to open that floodgate. Spirit of God, move in here, I pray. Give us encouragement and give us peace. Come and minister in remarkable ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.